Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. The second reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in his tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us For this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Thanks, Pravin. Evening, everyone. Uh, Glad we've got energy tonight. No, I actually recognise that a number of you don't have a whole lot of energy tonight, and that's fair enough. You've been away on a big weekend, you've been getting lots of input, you've been chatting with each other. It's tiring and I'm really glad you're here, just like Mark, I'm really stoked that you're here. But I thought to myself during the week, how do we engage a significant group of a congregation that's been away for the weekend? So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight uh, and it gives me a chance to experiment as well, but hopefully it keeps you engaged. It could be a complete failure. That's all right, we just won't do it again. Um, that's how it goes. So in the spirit of Q&A, which you guys love and, and we love you for loving it, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions of the passage and I'm going to let you choose which questions you want me to answer. Right? So there you go, you can see five questions now. Just before you get distracted too much by the questions, I was talking to Chris about this passage a little bit this week, and uh, or just briefly, and uh, our reflection was that uh, th- there's a real simple message to this passage. So if you're following the line of thought, Paul had been at the end of chapter 4 talking about on fixing his mind on uh, and his heart on the unseen, on the eternal, and then he changes to talking about his body, which he'd been talking about before and how he was being beaten up, and he goes, actually, I'm going to get a new body, and so therefore we can keep going. And that's kind of the crux of the passage, right? But then the more you look into the passage, the more you spend time in it, the more you have these questions, some of which are just like, whoa, what's going on there? And so that's where this kind of idea came from, I guess, of going, actually, there's some really big questions here that maybe we could discuss tonight. So here's how we're going to do it. There's five questions up there. We're going to see how we go, see if we can get four done. We'll, we'll pace ourselves and see what happens. But you're going to direct it. So if you go to Slido right now, and rather than asking a question, go to the polls page and you can vote for where you want us to start. How long are we going to keep this open? Gee, not too long. What, 30 seconds? How many votes have we got so far? Three? Oh, a lot. Good. 
Maybe we'll give them 30 this time because they had to open it up. Next time we might do it a bit shorter. Or you can just tell me. You can shout it, shout it out, Chris. 41% oh, number one. See, that's creative. All right, we're going to start with number one. Uh, do our earthly bodies... I can't even read that. Oh, our tents, that's right. Matter to our spiritual bodies. I should just look here, it's right in front of me. Do our earthly bodies, our tents, matter to our spiritual bodies? Now, what I want you to do is one of two things. Either just have a think about that for 30 seconds quietly or just quickly chat to the person next to you and say, here's what I think. You might say, I've got no idea, that's okay. Just wait for 30 seconds then and we'll get on with it. And this is a really important question. I'm actually kind of glad that you started with this one uh, because it is helpful for us to understand some of the context behind the passage. So Greek philosophy, uh, the, the context in which this was being written, taught a duality of body and soul uh, and taught that the human body was intrinsically evil and what we needed to do was to escape that body. Uh, and to escape our body happened at death. And so there was something that... Um, was a sort of release when death came. It's not that the body was totally unimportant, but the soul definitely had much greater importance and the body wasn't looked at all that favourably. Therefore, you could do whatever you wanted with your body. It didn't really matter. What mattered was your soul. And you can see how that thought has influenced Western thinking and even thinking in the church and perhaps even our own thinking at different points. On the other hand, Jewish thought was much more holistic in the way that it thought about us. The body and soul were one entity and it's this that we see Paul exhorting the Corinthian believers to, to holding on to them being one. Paul doesn't deny the hardships that he experiences in the body and we've seen that quite a lot uh, through the book of 2 Corinthians. Verse 2, for example, of this passage says, Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. But interestingly, Paul doesn't desire for a release from our earthly body, but the arrival of a new body. Rather than it being a tent, it's a heavenly dwelling that he desires. The arrival of what God has kept for us in the eternal realms is what Paul longs for. Now, our bodies groan partly because of the suffering that we have in this world, but partly because they are not all that they will be. And we groan because there's something more that we desire that we don't yet have. The groaning isn't about our insignificance, our body's insignificance or meaninglessness, but about our incompleteness. There's something more to come. Romans chapter 8 uh, speaks into this and tells us that we groan with the whole of creation. We groan because we anticipate something more than our current experience in the world. The redemption of our bodies is what Romans 8 tells us. 
But again, our groaning isn't to leave the body behind. That's not Christian groaning. The language Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5 is of being clothed. You can see it in verse 2, verse 3 and verse 4. We clothe ourselves with the heavenly dwelling over the top of the body, kind of like a jacket. It's like we want to put the new body on, not have the old body taken away so that we're found naked, as Paul says. The body is not disposed of, but something new comes over it. And one day it will be swallowed up, not by death, but by life. So what's Paul saying there? If we think about our cardboard boxes, and this is actually the reason I really like that you chose this one, If we think about our cardboard boxes, which we've been thinking about for a few weeks, it's not that we somehow come out of the body, though that might be our experience, that the body at some point, and we call this death, it goes to the ground and what happens to our soul, it's not so much that, it's that God is not only renewing our body, like we looked at a little bit last week and just like last week, I won't be able to put this back together the way I wanted to, There we go. Just a reminder, I'm not God in case I needed it. I didn't need it, it's all right. (laughs) Um, But rather, and don't read too much into the esky, it is a good Australian analogy though, but rather something new comes over and swallows us up. We're swallowed up by life. So the body hasn't gone, the new dwellings come over on top of it. All right. Our bodies matter because they are what God is using for his purposes now. Have a look at verse 5. That's what it tells us. God has designed us. He's he's ordained us this way. They will be resurrected. They'll be made complete when our heavenly body comes and is put over our current body. Interestingly, the analogy that Paul uses with tents and dwelling reminds us of the Old Testament, Testament tabernacle and temple, both of which had their purpose, but one supersedes the other, so to speak. Our bodies are part of God's present plan for us and also part of the eternal plan for us where we will have this new heavenly dwelling or heavenly body. All right, back to you, Chris, or back to everyone. Slido, five questions, vote again. Where are we going? (laughs) Awesome. I love you guys. Make this experiment much easier for me. All right. What happens when you die? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 to 10 raises this important issue because it's talking about uh, our, our bodies and our new body, our new dwelling. But there's some other important passages that I think we need to consider to answer this question. We can't really just answer it from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And even as we do get to some sort of answer, it's a tenuous sort of one. There's some things we don't really know here. But uh, let's have a look at a couple of other passages quickly. The first one is 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54. I find it in your Bible. You'll be good. Uh, this is what it says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 to 17. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, when those two passages are combined with 2 Corinthians 5, we seem to have an answer that looks something like this. Again, a bit tenuous here. Number one, we die. Not tenuous, but well, no, there is a bit of uncertainty about that. You might not die. We'll get back to that in a minute. We die. What happens when we die next? Two, we go to be with Jesus. Now, this is where there's some contention. Okay, we might come back to that later on in Q&A if you want to. Three, Jesus returns bringing the final judgment and the resurrection of all. Four, those in Jesus receive our new eternal bodies. Now, the variation, which I mentioned a moment ago, and it's really important, basically just eliminates the first two. It's ri- so, so that Jesus returns to bring a final judgment and resurrection of all, and those in Jesus receive their new bodies. Now, that's really, really important for us because we have to keep reminding ourselves that Jesus could return today. He could. Are we living like Jesus could return today? Because that's the reality. Not all will die. Jesus will return while people are still living, going about their business as normal, and we need to live as though he's about to return. A friend of mine had on his desk at work just two words, maybe today for that very purpose. Second thing to notice is there's nothing in there about going to heaven language. That language isn't there. Now, heaven is the place of God and believers who die might might call heaven or might go to what we call heaven or the heavenly realms to be with Jesus. But our heavenly bodies are kept for us in heaven will be given to us at the return of Jesus. So going to heaven is not our final destination. Rather, the new creation where heaven and earth are once again brought together, established by Jesus at his return, that is our final destination. (laughs) Say it again. All right. Heaven is the place of God. Believers who die go to what we might call heaven or the heavenly realm. Our heavenly bodies, our bodies kept in heaven for us, will be given to us at the return of Jesus. Going to heaven isn't our final destination. 
rather the new creation where heaven and earth are once again brought together, established by the return of Jesus, that is our final destination. Okay? Now, if when you use the word heaven, you mean new creation, embodied, great. But if you mean by heaven some disembodied experience, that's not our final destination. Okay? Our final destination is embodied new creation. Now, to help us, we can bring some of Revelation chapter 21 into the discussion. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 and verse 10, give us a picture of the new creation with God coming down from heaven. This is the language. He's coming down to dwell with humans again. He's not taking us somewhere, but he's returning to earth. New creation, new heavens, new earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 talks about the Lord coming down from heaven where the resurrection will take place. Then, caught up with them, we all meet Jesus in the air. Now, that can seem a bit like, okay, we meet Jesus in the air, so then what? Do we then go off with Jesus? We, we race up to meet him in the air and head out? Well, I don't think that's right because the image actually is more like this one from the airport. So, you know, when you've gone to the airport to meet someone, this little kid, I assume, meeting his mum, young boy, assume meeting his mum, uh, races across the line where you get in trouble for crossing because he's so excited to meet her. What do they do next? Does he go back into customs? No. Sorry? Yeah, head out of the airport, go home. Right? He meets her in the air and takes her back to the place and that's the image that uh, we have going on here. In its time, the image had overtones of going to meet a king when he's coming back from a battle, that you go out of the city to meet him and what do you do? The king doesn't take you back to where the battle was. You bring the king into the city and together you share in the victory and that's the image uh, here of new creation and of heaven. Uh, yep, you meet him to bring him back to the city where you share victory together. Good. Uh, I'm sure we'll have questions on that later, but we'll leave it there for now. Come back to Slido and uh, vote again. Let's see if we can get four or five. Judgment by works. All right, question number five. Judgment by works. All right. Let's have a look just quickly. I don't think I've got this on the screen, so if you've got your Bible, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Certainly sounds like judgment by works. First of all, the judgment seat of Christ, what's called the beamer. And the, the Beamer is where uh, you can see in the photo that's going to come up in a moment, thanks Tim, uh, where, where the judge would sit to make a judgement on whoever was being brought before him. In fact, Paul himself probably stood before a judge on the Beamer, right, on this judgement seat. So what happens on the judgement seat? What happens is that we're not just judged by about our outer actions, 
but the motivations of our heart are revealed. Again, we need to jump around a bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, 1 Corinthians, not 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul had written, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. That's what's going to happen at judgment. At, each, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So it's more of a revealing than a determination of salvation that's happening at that point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, Paul has said, Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Again, it's that sense of revealing what's been done that happens at judgment. But because it's been done on the foundation of Christ, which Paul talks about a bit earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, then even if the work itself is burned, the person will be saved. Okay, Really important. Revelation 21 gives us some insight as well. Uh, so there in verse 6 to 8, we see that the thirsty receive without cost from the spring of the water of life. The victorious inherit the new creation. But who are the victorious? Are they the ones who have done the most right stuff? No, Revelation makes it really clear that the victorious are those who share in the victory of the Lamb, who share in Jesus' victory. Not because of what they have done, but because of the blood spilt for them by Jesus. Those not in Christ are defined by their deeds in that Revelation 21 passage and are judged accordingly, but because they are not in Christ. That's what's really important. So we are judged. We will all come before Jesus as a judge one day. And on that day, everything will be exposed. The good and the bad, all of it laid bare. That's a pretty scary thought, I think. But here's the thing. On that day, when it's all laid bare, it will be clear that we're as guilty as sin, so to speak. But what will also be made clear for those in Christ, is that while we're guilty, Christ has paid the price for us and we will be welcomed into God's new creation. So what happens at judgment? It's all exposed. For those who are in Christ, we have confidence, not because of ourselves. It doesn't take much. We can, we can reveal our own hearts and know what the judgment will be. But because of what Christ has done, the price has been paid for us, we then are welcomed into God's new creation. So this actually impacts the way that we live, I think. We're not judged by our works. Our final salvation is secure because of Christ. But we are called to live what Paul calls in the book of Romans, to live the obedience that comes from faith. We're called to live obediently to him and all that we do one day will be exposed for better or for worse. 
That obedience is enabled by God's Holy Spirit. We've learned about that a bit in 2 Corinthians as well. So we live each day to please him, looking not for our own merit, trusting in what Christ has done, knowing that one day all of our actions will be laid bare and there will be a judgement. Do we have time for one more? <laughs> trying to read the room. One more. One more. One more. If you don't want more questions... <laughs> was it tight, was it? Oh, what's it mean to make it our aim to please him? Question number three. All right, first, I think it's worth acknowledging that this language can make us feel a bit uncomfortable. What's it mean to please him? We're not used to that sort of language. We're more attuned actually to knowing how we displease God and maybe there's some good reasons for that. But the language of pleasing God is biblical language. We see it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, Philippians 4, 18, Colossians 1, 9 and 10. They're up there on the screen for you. Pleasing God comes from living the way that he's determined for us. We can please God when we come before him with broken and contrite hearts. It pleases God when we act justly. It pleases God when we love mercy. It pleases God when we walk humbly before him. It pleases God when the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in our lives such that we bring blessing to those around us. God is pleased with us, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ at work in us, achieving for us what we cannot achieve without him. God is pleased because in those moments we're living as true humans, we're living as he has designed us to live. Paul acknowledges the work of Christ by saying in 2 Corinthians 5 that we make it our goal to please him. Now, I think the sentiment here is of doing whatever he can to please God or with acknowledging, sorry, that he isn't perfect, that he won't always please God. Therefore, we make it our aim to please God. But there's another challenge here as well and this takes us back to something I offered tenuously before. Paul makes it his goal to please God whether at home, in the body or away from it. Now, I can get what it might mean to please God at home in the body, but what? Please God away from the body? What on earth is that all about? Well, all of my commentaries avoided this question. (laughs) And interestingly, so did our very good preacher this morning avoid this particular question. So I couldn't even glean something from him. I did ask him about it afterwards. Given that we only please God by being in Christ, then I assume that Paul means that whether Jesus returns when he is at home in the body, i.e. still alive, or whether Jesus returns when he is away from the body, i.e. he's died, that he will be found pleasing to the Lord by being found in Christ. He doesn't please him by doing some good works here or in the afterlife, we know that, but simply by being found in Christ. And so this is Paul's labour. Whatever he does, he strives to please the Lord 
through suffering, through hardship, even through ministry successes, he strives to please the Lord, that he will be found in Christ, dead or alive, when Jesus returns, that he'll be in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 reminds us that even in death, we are not separated from the love of God. Being in his presence in death, away from the body, if we are in Christ, is pleasing to the Lord. That's my take on it. The commentators have nothing to say. So uh, I'm not sure what to do if you disagree with me. You're free to. All right, uh, we might leave it there. Thank you for choosing your own adventure. I'll pray and the band will come up. Thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and we thank you above all for the certainty that we have that you have a heavenly dwelling in store for us and that we will receive that one day. Father, give us the confidence that Paul has, that your spirit has designed it this way, that you have designed it this way and you've given us your spirit guaranteeing that and therefore help us to live with great confidence in you, whatever comes, knowing that our bodies are useful to you now and will be used as part of the new uh, heavenly dwelling that you will give to us for all eternity. And we thank you for the confidence that we have because of Jesus that we will stand firm on that day. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.